Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Bars. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Youth in Education podcast, where we explore developments in education, research and policy that affect young people, primarily in the UK, with a range of expert guests. This podcast is brought to you by the Centre for Education and Youth. Hi, it's Alex, and welcome to this episode of the Youth in Education podcast, where I'm talking with behaviour and education specialist Adele Bates. We talk about the impact that another lockdown is having on young people, the kinds of behaviour challenges that might be arising as a result of the circumstances we find ourselves in, and how we might go about managing these. We also discuss the importance of well-being and how to look after yourself during tough times. I hope you enjoy and thanks very much for listening. The Centre for Education and Youth believes society should ensure all children and young people receive the support they need to make a fulfilling transition to adults. Find us at cfey.org. I'd like to welcome Adele Bates to the podcast this morning. Hi Adele, thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. It's brilliant to have you here today. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background? So yes, my name is Adele Bates and I'm a behaviour and education specialist. So what that means is that I've had juice poured on my head, I have been whacked by a skateboard and I have taught a year seven, 11 year old pupil how to read their very first word, which did make me cry a little bit. Amazing. So what I do now is support school leaders, teachers, teaching assistants, um, homeschooling parents and carers um, to work with their young people with behavioural needs and SEMH, social, emotional, mental health issues, to empower those young people so that they too can thrive and be a part of positive social change, which is very much what I feel we need right now. Um, So I'm the forthcoming author of a book, Miss I Don't Give a Shit, which is due out in autumn this year, 2021, and that's with with Sage Publication. Um, And I'm also a TEDx speaker 2020, which means, of course, we haven't got around to it yet, (laughs) but fingers crossed that will make it into 2021. Fantastic. That's great stuff. Thank you, Adele. Um, And how did you get into the work that you're doing now? Tell us a little bit about your, your background. That's a good question. So I... Uh, my first career, I was an opera singer, and wow. um, I, I had always taught alongside that. I taught performing arts, and I had always been drawn to working with the young people with the more challenging behaviour for the adults around them, mm. and I found that I... I was just drawn to working with them. And I think I had a, I had a fantastic tutor when I did my PGC who said there were there are loads of different ways of being a teacher and that's okay because we've got loads of different types of pupils. Yeah. And, and he said, you know, you'll find that, you know, some of you'll find that you love working with top sets um, because you really love stretching them academically. Whereas some of you will find that you really love working with different, you know, different groups. Mm -hmm. And it was just very clear, very soon to me um, that, it was those young people that I wanted to work with. And then I got to a point in my opera career <laughs> where I was working in Prue's people referral units and special schools. And I was actually enjoying that work more than I was enjoying my opera singing. <laughs> oh, wow. That's amazing. I just loved working with these young people. And then that's when I thought, well, I mean, by that point, I'd been working and teaching for 15, 16 years. And I thought, OK, let's get this PPC under my belt. Um, so I did the PGC 
and get the training. And then more, I spent a few years in mainstream teaching and I became in mainstream the leader on equality and diversity. Um, so inclusion also became a big theme. Equality and inclusion became a big theme of my of my practice as well. Mm. And then I got to a point where I realised these young people um, with the behavioural needs, I feel are so misunderstood by society. Mm. And um, they have learning needs, the same as any kid with SDND, but often we see the behaviour first. Yes. So they're blamed punished etc and I'm not saying sometimes there don't need to be consequences to behavior but I really feel that these young people who nine times out of ten have been through something hideous themselves need support need differentiation need the education system to work for them and so I came out of mainstream I started working again now as a teacher in special schools pupil referral unit absolutely loved it um, and then it kind of came full circle because, as my mum says, I like to bang my drum. <laughs> <laughs> and because I have those, um, on, you know, on stage skills of, of performing, talking, communicating, motivating, I've now found myself in a role that I absolutely love because I get to, I get to bridge between um, being with the children and working with them directly and also advocating on their behalf, creating spaces for their voices, creating spaces for them to be heard and understood. And a lot of the work I do as well bridges between mainstream and special schools and pupil referral units, because I think there's some fantastic practice happening in both. And there's just not enough cross-pollination. Absolutely. Um, when I'm leading training for schools or if I'm working with school leaders or, or consulting in that way, it's really interesting because most educators I meet really want to support these young people more, the children with behavioural SDMH, but they just don't know how. I mean, I think, did you say you, you uh, used to be a teacher, Alex? Yes, I used to be an English teacher in secondary Oh, there you go. How, and I'll ask you just as a, a random person to pick out, how much training did you get about behaviour in your teacher training year? I would say not very much. It was very focused on sort of what I was teaching. Um, I found um, that learning about kind of managing different types of behaviour as um ways for young people to be communicating things about themselves just wasn't really there Mm -hmm. and I think in my training I met young people and I realized really early on you know there's something going on with you that is you know Mm. different to what some of the other young people in this class are experiencing Mm. and listening to them and and talking to them and trying to support them became really important to me in, in the same way that you describe I think but um it's it's not something that's the real focus I think when you're when you're training in in, in the same way and I, again you know the same with um special educational needs I don't think I had enough kind of guidance there on how to adapt what I was delivering either I think you're absolutely right and I think what's bonkers is behavior is usually cited as the second reason second most common reason why teachers leave the profession yes um, yeah after number one workload so it just baffles me that we're not you know we're not supporting this more and who is missing out it's the young people of course who are missing out Mm. and I think that um I've also been working with Lisa Cherry who's brilliant um she's also interviewed in the book and she was talking about that if we are adults who are privileged um because I you know I believe it is a privilege that we haven't been through adverse 
um, experiences as children or we weren't the child who was struggling with building relationships or mm-hmm. the child who was in care or the child, who, you know, whatever. If we were an adult who hasn't experienced that, it can be quite hard to understand why when all you've done is said to a kid, please can you take the coat off, that they throw the desk at you. And very easy to kind of superimpose your own um, beliefs onto that child uh, and your own sort of structures around what is appropriate and what's not. And actually, you you have to learn to adjust those really quickly. Absolutely. I mean, my TEDx talk is called See the Child, Not the Behaviour, which is exactly what you're talking about. It's, It's looking at what's going on behind that and how can I as the educator adapt for it and what is is exciting me is that when I work with schools school leaders and teachers that they do want to know this stuff yes. it's just that they haven't been given it um so that's really where I fall into place I'm a kind of bridge between uh the different kind of camps and I create spaces um for us to to learn about these young people and work out how we can best support them so that they can become not just so they can do the timetables not just so they can get a GCSE yes that's important but also how they can work positively in society and not become one of those negative statistics that we uh, we often hear about <laughs> yes absolutely that's such important work and um i think really reassuring to hear that people are really responsive to that approach as well because ultimately you know we're not teaching young people to get them to the end of school we're teaching young people to set them up for the rest of their lives and you know seeing that bigger picture is so important absolutely We've dealt with so much upheaval and this year has been really, really challenging. And I think both teachers and parents and carers will be facing all kinds of um, new behavioural challenges that maybe they hadn't dealt with in the past. So it's great to be able to talk to you today and find out a little bit more Mm -hmm. about how we might be dealing with sort of these difficult things that are coming up. From your perspective, what do you feel like the impact on young people has been like over the past year? How are they feeling? I mean, that's a ginormous question, isn't it? And of course, it's different for every single child. And I think that's where we start with all this. There is no um, one way, which is always something Mm. that I come back to with behaviour anyway. But really now, uh, more than ever, it, it becomes apparent there really is no one way to this. So, for example, I work with young people who, let's say, are in care and have historically been through a lot of trauma or abuse or neglect. And yet they're thriving. They mm. they love lockdown. They love the one-to-one attention they're getting in terms of tuition or um, slight, um, much more um, boutique, personalised um, timetables that they perhaps wouldn't be able to get at school. And yeah. I am working with some kids who are academically thriving. And of course, I'm also working with young people who have completely gone off the rails. Uh, This Mm. is too much. This is just too much. There's too much anxiety in our education system. The young people are feeling it. They're not feeling the usual safety, um, which they need. And then we've got young people who have become nocturnal. That seems to be a common thread. Um, Really? Yes. I've spoken to a lot of parents and carers, particularly because I work mainly with teenagers and Mm. um, the staff and adults who work with them. And yeah, nocturnality, is that a word? I don't know. Um, I think that, so. <laughs> yeah, let's say that's a word. Uh, yeah, that's a common theme, um, usually closely related to computer games. And then right. we have the kind of young people who, for me, are the most worrying, which are the ones that we don't hear from. And the parents and carers that we can't also get hold of regularly. And in my line of work, 
that becomes worrying from a safeguarding uh, child protection point of view as well. Um, mm. And then I think what's fascinating when I come onto behaviour is that, um, you know, usually, let's say in a mainstream school, you've got your group of children that you might be concerned about with their behavioural needs. They are the ones who um, cause particular challenges for the staff. And then you've got the majority of the rest who are kind of okay and you can kind of rely on them to get on and you know not that we kind of should but we kind of do because we're human as teachers and we say okay you know oh it's all right I know that they'll get on with that for 20 minutes while I'm dealing with so and so and what I'm seeing now which is completely um completely to be expected and I think we really need to account for it is even the young people who we usually almost rely on to just get on with things just to comply they're wobbling too you know, and mm. I've heard I was speaking to a very, very upset parent recently who was talking about their young person in year nine who usually high achieving, um, conscientious student who is his just not coping. Um, and luckily that school is offering counselling for that young person. Um right. But usually that, you know, that that young person is is one that you would kind of go, oh, you know, they're fine. Um, So it's very interesting. I come from this angle of behaviour because usually when we say behaviour, we think bad behaviour. But no, all behaviour is communication. Um, Of course. No matter what that communication is. And I think so to answer the question, how are our young people getting on? Uh, (laughs) It's bonkers. And I had a really interesting conversation with um, a lady over at the Safeguarding Association a month or so ago. And she asked me the question, which I thought was really interesting, interesting maybe for your adult listeners to consider. If you were a young person when all this had kicked off, how would you have reacted and she yeah. asked me that, and it actually scared me because I was that conscientious um, pupil. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I would have completely freaked out if exams had suddenly been taken away, if everything I had been working for had suddenly been taken away. You know, that's my personal experience of it. But each of us would have reacted in a different way. And I think it's just a useful question for us to consider when we're, when we're trying to consider empathy and useful space for our young people. Um, you know, it is they're going to be experiencing it in a different way to us as adults. Definitely, yes, and I think it's so important to to remember that we're all individuals, and um, each each child, each adult is experiencing a kind of different cocktail of of factors at the moment aren't they it's it's so um uh, different for everybody you speak to in terms of what's working and what's not and Mm -hmm. how they've been able to adjust things and um what kind of space they've got even to to carry on with things at home and what their local area is like and I think flexibility is just so important at the moment isn't it in order to understand all these different kinds of um tensions and and frustrations absolutely so something that I talk about a lot um I'm writing a book right now, and one of the chapters in that is safety first, learning second. And mm-hmm. it's something that I do training on and talks on as well, because the young people that I usually work with cannot take for granted that they are safe. Mm. And I think as the adults who support them, we need to be aware of that. And we also need to know that safety looks different for all of us. Yes. So just a really simple thing in the classroom, like one kid, um, for, for one kid, having the door open is really important because then they feel they can escape. Maybe they've had experiences where they unfortunately have had to escape something 
Mm. And for another kid, it might be if the door's not locked, they don't feel safe because um, they, they, they need that kind of containment. They need that protection. Um, mm. And so when we are um, considering right now, okay, how are we, how are we supporting our young people? It's, <laughs> I think at first, when the first lockdown happened in the UK, um, there was a little bit of a rhetoric from some of the educational industry or profession that was saying, oh, you know, come on, come on, book up. We've all got to catch up and get on with it. And I think mm. now that we're on whatever we're on, lockdown number 72, whatever it is, um, but um, I think, which is really, I mean, for me, exciting from the uh, the beliefs and the values I have, which is actually saying, you know what, we're going to be affected. And what is more important, shoving some um, yeah. Dickensian quotes into our children's minds, ready for an exam that might not happen, or ensuring that they are not selling, you know, finding themselves in some kind of depressive state, anxious state, um, and all the associated beha- negative behaviours that can come with that. Um, and that's why I often come back to this this mantra for myself, safety first, learning second, and safety for me might look different from what it looks like for you. Yes, absolutely. I think um, when this all started last March, many of us were thinking, you know, it's going to be over by Christmas, it's going to be back yeah. to normal. And um, actually, when you realise that it's this sort of long-term challenge, the, the mm-hmm. goalposts have moved, we do have to reprioritise, certainly. And, and that's really important, especially when when working with young people. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, of the kind of behaviour issues that are likely to have been triggered by finding ourselves stuck in yet another lockdown across the UK mm. what sort of things uh, what sort of challenges do you think teachers and, and parents and and the young people themselves are are, are facing at the moment mm. and do you have any strategies that maybe those those um, carers and and um, people working with young people can try to, to help the, them to get through this difficult time yeah. I think a lot of it stems from something that we're feeling as adults, um, unfortunately, from the leadership that's been coming through from government, which is this frustration of the backwards and forwardsness of it. <laughs> and, uh, mm. you know, most of us are quite annoyed with that anyway. And I think the children are feeling the same. So yeah. uh, I spoke to a head teacher recently who is working in a school where they are supporting their invert, you know, inverted commas, vulnerable children although we still mm. haven't quite been told what that really means. Um, no. And the key worker children, again, something that's quite a loose term. And anyway, they told the young people, you know, you've been at school for a day, now we've got to go again. And one of the young people just completely melted down um, mm-hmm. as a teenager, but went into some kind of, you know, what we might recognise as some kind of tantrum. And mm. my... Um, my feeling definitely with that and my experience of that is that first of all we need to let them do that because you know what they are just getting frustrated in the same way as that, that we are and you know what we might solve it in different ways we might do our yoga we might grab a glass of wine we might have not yes. our partner um, <laughs> we might have <laughs> the neighbor like we have our ways as adults to do it and young people I think this is really important they're still learning they are still learning how to deal with their emotions. They are still learning what society is, what um, society thinks of them, how they're treated, et cetera, et cetera. In that moment, if, if a child is going through some kind of moment of frustration, number one, ensure they're safe. 
Um, I have been in circumstances where a young person has been having a moment like that on the edge of a balcony. uh, So like, number one, get them safe. Um, (laughs) But once they are in a safe space, if they're not hurting you, if they're not hurting themselves, they're not hurting anybody else, allowing them to go, you know what, this is, I'm not sure if you're allowed to swear on your podcast. (laughs) This is blooming frustrating. Yeah. This, is and it's allowed to be expressed we've got to let it out um, it's valid yeah exactly in a safe way in a way that doesn't hurt other people etc 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 and then there's got to be a, a regulation piece a self-regulation piece now i for, for my book i interviewed a fabulous kate McAllister, who's great at this um she mm. talks a lot about self-regulation and how as educators we can role model um, self-regulation and how we can mm-hmm. support young people because again it's something they're learning and I think this is um I think this comes up um a lot more it seems to be a lot more tricky for people to understand in teenagers than it does in small children so let's say for example a toddler is teething um and they're screaming their head off right and people generally know, oh, toddlers, teething, that's what happens. So we try and make it better. I have never had a toddler. What do you do? Put cream on them? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you do the thing that makes them feel better. And then, yeah. and then you make sure they know they're safe, that you're there. And then you kind of let it fizzle out and then they, you know, then they re-regulate. So you do the physical things to make them feel safe and to make their soothing. body feel comfortable. Soothing. Thank you. Gorgeous word. And then, but there's this like society's acceptance that that's part of the child development of a toddler. Mm. And what infuriates me when it gets to teenagers is it seems that we don't understand that. And for, you know, for older children, because they, they are doing the same thing. You know, they, that, that child who was, was kicking out at this news that school was open for a day and now they've got to go back. They were hurting you know, for yes. whatever reason, we don't know what their home life is like, you know, whether home life isn't a safe space, it is not for every young person. Um, and so they're just hurting in the same way as the toddler with the teething um, is hurting. And so we need to go through that same process of soothing and reestablishing safety. And that, and I have to say that is hard because we don't all feel safe right now. We're full yes. of anxiety. Um, and so are a lot of people, which I think is the mm-hmm. challenge. Um, you know, often you might have a friend who's going something, but you're in a good place or vice versa. Um, mm. But it's, it's so rare that we're all experiencing it. So I think that going back to the question exactly, that when in order in kind of what can we do about it? The first thing is to let it happen, to yes. let that frustration come out. Um, and I think that um, then... And the kind of the stuff regulating, the soothing, that side of it. And then it might be the time to talk about, okay, how can we make this better? How can we, you know, we don't know how long this next lockdown is going to be. What can we put in place? And it might be actually that doing maths first thing in the morning. It's, it's, it's a trigger. It's too, it's too much. Okay, fine. We do that in the afternoon. It might be that instead of doing science, which a child finds really difficult, gets really frustrated, instead of forcing them to do the hour or whatever they've been sent from the school, maybe they do 10 minutes. Because actually, Mm -hmm. what is better, trying to force an hour and then having three hours fall out of emotions and frustration and arguments, or doing 10 minutes, getting it done, 
and then having the rest of the afternoon. And I think this is the big permission slip that I will give uh, as an educator that right now what is more important is the well-being and positive mental health of your children and young people mm. rather than the, you know, the nth degree of Pythagoras theory. I'm not a maths teacher. Apologies if I just made that up. <laughs> but you see, that is my point. That I think yes, yeah, there's, absolutely. There's also something else I've been asked to talk on a lot, which is um, it's about our children are always learning, right? They are always learning mm. something. So I've got some colleagues who work a lot with refugees and they work um, in, on the ground. Um, some colleagues who worked in the jungle before it was dismantled in Calais. Wow. And... Um, Children are always learning. Now, whether they're learning what you want them to learn, the content of the syllabus of the thing of the thing, that might not be the case, but they are always learning. And what is concerning me right now is the attitude towards children and young people from society at wide is usually negative at the best of times. It's kind of it's kind of okay till they get to teenagers and then society in general sees them as quite negative. Um, not something I'll go into massively right now, but it's it's an area that I cover a lot because um, if you're getting this kind of confused message that, I mean, for example, the free school meals thing, what were the what were our children of our country learning during the time that the government refused to feed them? Yes. Yeah. Right and it might be that that kid is seven and doesn't consciously isn't consciously able to hold the kind of political debate there. I'm not saying that, but they will realise that daddy is stressed about it or that mummy's angry mm. you know they will be picking up on so much they will be learning so much right now um, it's easy so, to forget that isn't it that the mm. children are, are incredibly sensitive and mm. observant um, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. their surroundings and yeah. and to the feelings of others and the atmosphere that they're existing in and i think it can be easy to to think things are going above their head when really they're not they're not i mean an, an example that just knocked me for six the other day i i was having you know, I was having a wobbly day, very much so. I called a really um, wonderful friend who was just chatting with me, you know, supporting me. And then her small child came in and said, um, Mummy, are you having a sad phone call? Oh, that child who um, is in infant school age could pick oh. up on my mood just by listening to their mum supporting mm. me. Um, which is incredible. And my friend is an incredible mom, and she taught, taught the child through and said, well, what did you hear? What do you think you hear? How do you feel about that? And she was brilliant. Hence why I called oh, her in the first place. Um, yes. but, isn't, but isn't that incredible? And I think that yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying here that then we put on another pressure as, as um, parents, carers, teachers, that we always have to be Mary Poppins. That is not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is we need to make space to role model authenticity um, mm. because this is something else I think both in the classroom and at home during lockdown that could be a really useful thought for um, adults supporting children is that it, let's say a kid is feeling worried, right? Um, and the adult is trying to process everything over, everything's fine, yeah, then yeah. the child sits there with this feeling going, well, hang on, if they're fine, I can kind of tell they're not quite fine. There's something slightly unhinged. 
they will be able to sense that. They might not be able to articulate it, depending on their age. But they'll still kind of think, well, everyone's still acting as if, as if everything's fine. But I've got this feeling, what is wrong with me? And that Yes, that's unsettling. Create. Yeah, exactly. If they can't see around them, people saying, you know what? Things are hard and I am having a wobbly day. Are you having a wobbly day? Then they know that that's that's allowed and that's a normal, completely normal human response to what's going on. But if we completely try and close everything off, um, then then I'm I try not to worry, but I do. <laughs> I'm worried that those questions about I'm feeling isolated, I'm feeling lonely, I'm feeling frustrated, I'm feeling like I'm falling behind with my education, I feel like I don't get to see my friends, I feel like my friends aren't contacting me, I feel like, you know, all those kind of things that children might be thinking will go in internally. I know that you work right. um, around mental health. Does that kind of ring true from your point of view as well? Yes, I think... Um... I think that's so important. Mental health is an issue that I'm I'm really interested in, and I think um, uh, being able to talk openly and discuss feelings and um, kind of responses to things that are happening around you openly is vital. Because exactly as you say, we all um, are absorbing the the atmosphere and the and the the tensions around us and it is very easy particularly as a young person I think you know teenagers a lot of the time are really questioning their identity um are kind of just getting to grips with who they are and how they fit into the world and if you know that things are not going well but you're not sure why self-blame can really take over and um it's just not what young people need in this kind of environment so it's absolutely essential to be able to say look you know this is hard um it's hard for all of us when none of us are are doing a brilliant job across the board right now but we're doing our best and that's the main thing and that's what I expect from you and that's what you can expect from me you know as a parent or as a teacher but you know we both recognize in this two-way relationship that it's not going to be perfect and we won't, we'll have days that aren't so great and we'll have days where we don't achieve everything that we wanted to We'll have some days where we won't achieve very much at all. But as long as we're trying to keep on track and trying to do our best and, um, and move forward little by little, um, until we get to a better place with things, um, that's all that we can expect and that's reasonable. Um, and I think that sets, you know, it's, it's modeling a good, um, approach, for managing your your own mental health throughout your life isn't it if you can't manage your own mental health and show young people how to do that yourself um then it's very difficult to expect them to to do that themselves or to learn how to do that um absolutely and expectations have to be realistic yeah And I think you've um, touched on something there that I just want to really highlight, which is the value of Um, Mm check-ins. So this is something that I advocate for always in in every kind of sphere of education, um, because um, what you're talking about there, that that we are having these conversations around mental health, that we are openly um, and age appropriately, of course, but we are openly finding ways to discuss emotions and things. We mm. can build this kind of these kind of check-ins into either our parent caring homeschooling structure or into our classrooms, um, whether they're virtual or real. Um, so one of the really easy tips that I give for teachers always is use the register. 
Um, so <laughs> when you're sitting there, um, when I'm sitting in a classroom with 33 kids in a mainstream school, I do not need to hear, yes, yes, nurse, times, times yeah. 33. Not good use of my time. So what I do instead is use that register. I ask them to give me one word to describe how they feel. And yes, most of the time when you work in secondary schools, you'll get, oh, boring, 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 tired, boring. Okay, fine. But what you find with a check-in, once you start setting that up as a routine, then the, the micro-community that you've got within your classroom, they start to feel a bit more comfortable with each other. And they start mm. to dare to express themselves a little bit more. And then you can start picking up on when things are amiss, when, when kids do need help. So if I've had a kid who's always gone, okay, 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 and then one day, has their head on the desk and struggles to speak. Well, hang on, my alarm mm. bells have gone off in the first minute of my lesson that that young person isn't in a place to learn. And, you know, it's my job as an educator to differentiate for that, both in the learning, but also then do some investigating as to what's going on. And I think the other piece that um, having regular check-ins does, which is really useful, and I know that we're all really guilty of this. <laughs> you know, asking for help is hard. And sometimes, mm. I mean, the amount of friends I've got right now who are like, well, I am feeling a bit like this and this, but I didn't want to call you because, I, you know, and you're just kind of thinking, no, call me. Um, yes. Don't wait till it's got too bad, you know. And yes. what's really good about structured check-ins, so that example was with the register in the school classroom, but this could be daily with your um you know, your family child, not your pupil child, um, mm. or it could be, you know, at, reg at regular intervals. The, the joy of that is as well, is the young person gets the message, I don't have to wait till I'm out of control to get help, but this is something that I know is always going to be there. It's going to be a regular thing. Um, so again, that's encouraging the space for them to be supported in that way, which can be really, really helpful. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. It's something that we do at, at um, the Centre for Education and Youth. Every time we have a team meeting on a Monday, yeah. um, we start with a check-in um, yeah. about how everyone's doing. And, yeah. um, and I find it really helpful, um, it both, both, both as a chance to kind of explain how I'm doing, but also to, to gauge how my colleagues are doing and to know, you know, if somebody's having a tough week or if someone's got a lot on their plate at the moment, um, I need to be extra sensitive or I need to kind of, you know, offer to help them out if I've got the, the space to do so. And um, I, I think it definitely makes us stronger as a team. Absolutely, Alex. And I will reveal to the listener, <laughs> before we press record, we were having the, the usual joyous technical <laughs> challenges. Um, and I know, so I called Alex, and I noticed that I went straight into technical, technical, technical. And then I held myself and thought, hang on a minute, I have no idea where this person is. Um, <laughs> and I'm about to collaborate with you, you know. So I'm, I'm trying to, um, you know, bring that into my own uh, way that I form relationships with people. This is not mm. just something to do with the young people. <laughs> yeah, um, it makes a difference, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, do you think, do you have any other advice for... Um, for adults who are working with young people and, and how they can look after their own mental health because it's it's a little bit like the uh, the advice on a plane isn't it you know put on your own mask before you help others yeah. what, what can we be doing when we're working with young people at the moment to make sure that we're we're actually protecting our own mental health and, and looking after that too it's a really good point. It's the whole first chapter of my book is called you um, for this very reason <laughs> um, so I think here here I go again, giving out another permission slip. And this one says, you're allowed to be human. Mm. And I think you've already said it already, Alex, we're going to have rubbish days. 
And we're going to have days where our young people manage to pick up the book and put it down again. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, that is going to be happening. There are going to be days where it is too overwhelming. Um, and easier said than done, I know, but knowing that that's okay. Um, the world, I mean, mm. art, this is brilliant. When I trained to be a teacher, <laughs> I had a fabulous colleague, Pia, um, and we were in that classic PGC panicking. Every lesson has to, you know, count, and we've been told how responsible oh, yeah. we are for the future of the generation. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, really I remember it well. Yeah, that one. And um, my friend just went, but like, really, no puppies are actually going to die. <laughs> Um, I put that in my book as well because it's just like I love that you're right I'm not talking about obviously COVID when I talk about this uh you know I want to I want it to be known I'm being sensitive that's not what I'm talking about but in terms of whether your child gets a whole essay written or half an essay written um it right now it doesn't like it really is not the important thing no puppies are going to die depending on whether <laughs> your child finishes their essay or not you know um and of course it's a balance, you, isn't it yeah and of course you need to balance that with expectations so that they they are um, still being stimulated and still having some resemblance maybe of learning and formal learning um what i'm talking about here academic learning educational learning um and then another thing is, um, or not two things, um, one of them is going back to that check-in. So something that I found very useful when supporting parents and carers is that they started off a lockdown, um, this is probably lockdown number 37, with like a really beautiful um, plan. And I saw these colour-coordinated homeschooling timetables and, you know, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, great, you know, great if that's how it's starting. Then build in an evaluation point every like week or two weeks depending on your child where you both sit down together and you both say how is this actually going do we need to adapt it so I think this is the thing because there are so many unknowns um just in general in our country right now the idea that we could make a plan that is definitely going to work um, in a month's time, two months' time, even sometimes tomorrow, um, is it's just ridiculous because we don't know what's going to happen. And I think that our uh, the way that the government has led us has actually exemplified this, unfortunately, that you can mm. put as sturdy a plan as you want in place, but we are not in control. And mm. so in terms of looking after both the adults and the children in this situation, whether it's teachers or parents or carers, is going, you know what, we did plan to finish this project on volcanoes um, in two weeks, but actually what happened was we had some really bad news in the family and that's delayed us and that's all right. You know, let's mm-hmm. don't need to st- hold by this plan just because that's what we started with. Um, and yeah. in fact, if, if for example, a child is going through a bereavement of somebody close to them, um, there's a hell of a lot of learning in that process, isn't there? Um, that that might might just be able to put volcano learning on pause. Um, so that's that's one area. And then the second one, I think, is about expectations and boundaries, um, mm. which is something that teachers we've I think we quite consciously do because of Ofsted because of 
<laughs> Sorry, in my opinion about. But uh, no, I mean, in terms of targets and data, we as teachers, we are we are playing. We have been. I'm hoping that might be something that shifts now. You know, we have performance related pay. We're very much um, in the British education system. We are asked to focus on that, um, mm. and I think that sometimes parents and carers feel that pressure too. And yeah. I think it's, you know, it's putting boundaries and expectations in. And a really lovely way I like to do this, I've been working with um, the Adopter Hub, a fantastic organisation that supports um, parents of adopted children. And I've supported their community a lot recently with this. And, and something that I offer to them is before you even think about your kid or what you want them to learn or what you want them, you know, anything, start mm. with yourself and just imagine, okay, if I said to you in a month's time, six months' time, what you know, whatever time frame you want to do, the first question is, how do you want to feel in a month's time? Mm. How do you want to feel? Do you want to feel that, yes, your kid has completed every worksheet that's been sent, but you've been pulling your hair out, you haven't been eating properly, you've been fighting, yeah. you've been, you know, there's nowhere to go. We are in lockdown. So mm-hmm. actually, how do you want to feel? in a month's time or whatever time frame you're giving yourself. And then after you've worked out that, then you can work out how you're going to approach supporting your children, both mental health-wise and in their education. And it might be that you yes. it might be that you want to come out feeling really like um, that you've achieved something. So it might be that you do want to take up a guitar with your kid, you know, and that, um, that's yes. fine too. <laughs> um, it might be and it's got to be want... sustainable and... And exactly. manageable with the rest of your life, yeah. Of course. I think going from that bit first, I think that circles right back around to what you said at the start of this question, Alex, about putting your own oxygen mask on first. Start from what you can offer. I think it's the permaculture um, theory. <laughs> Listeners, please ring in and, and tell me <laughs> more. But um, <laughs> I understand you start with the centre first. You, as in where you are now, what is yes. possible, and then you go. Actually, I know, for example, like I work a lot with my menstrual cycle, for example. So I know that when I'm premenstrual and I'm bleeding, I am not going to achieve so much doing stuff um, Mm. in that time. So, for example, I will not schedule in certain things within my diary. Um, Mm. And you might have all sorts of self-care things um, or it might be I'm thinking about uh, families where the young people are perhaps traveling between parents and carers, you know, perhaps there's one parent in one place, one parent in another place. Um, and perhaps, you know, that when you, that your child needs transition between those times, that when they come yeah. back from the other parent, actually there is 24 hours of, of wobble. And actually maybe that's not the time to set the really, really challenging algebra you know of course mm. that's a really interesting yeah. point for um for families with um children with special educational needs and disabilities as well i think mm-hmm. um of, of, absolutely um which semh fits fits into as well i think um that can be a, a really um important thing to think about in terms of you know uh, working out how how to fit your goals and and the tasks that need doing into the environment and um routine in a way that's going to work most effectively can be can be really helpful Ooh, can i add something there i think Please do. Um, what a lot of um parents and carers of children with special educational needs um 
the, a lot of the rhetoric I'm feeling is that there is a lot of pressure from schools to do things, uh, and that pressure is also coming from government, so it all kind of filters down. Um, and I would say that, um, okay, hang on, there's like five ways I could attack this. Hang on. <laughs> so, if you are a parent and carer listening and you're not in the educational world, I would like to ask of you um, to find some empathy and compassion um, for the education industry right now. Um, we have been given very, very um, changeable guidelines. Um, you know, the, the most crazy one being uh, at the start of this year um, between the mm. let's start school for a, year, a day, now let's not. And within that, teachers and schools are working to their nth degree to mm -hmm. make sure that your children have the support academically that they deserve. However, when you tell a whole industry of staff with that much notice, it's not going to happen smoothly and easily overnight because mm -hmm. we are not trained to deliver virtual learning. It might be that that started happening in the last eight months, but unless you're the IT teacher <laughs> or you're a teacher with a you know a particular interest in that, I mean, I'm an English and drama teacher. I do not traditionally teach via the computer, right? Yeah, and yeah. that's asking me to use a whole different set of tools. I'm not saying I'm a, I, I won't, but what I'm saying is I it's going to take me time, right? And so the result of that is that teachers may not have differentiated completely um, for your child or children in the way that they perhaps usually are able to. So what mm. I mean by that is they may be sending out a quick worksheet or whatever the online version is, Moodle doodle thing. Um, yes. And you might take that and think, oh, my goodness, the whole class are doing these 30 maths questions. My child can only do three. And you might use that to beat yourself up. You might use this to, you know, inadvertently put pressure on your child. But actually, if your child were in the classroom, the teacher probably wouldn't have done that because they know the needs of your child, right? Oh, and yeah. so what I've been advising to all the parents and carers that I've been working with is is just keep the communication open with school. Yeah, they are not sending it saying, this is what's expected to have been done. And if you haven't, your child is behind that we, most teachers that I'm talking to are nowhere near that. And um, um, what they're doing is, ah, I've been told to put a whole six weeks worth of lessons that I had planned to do in my physical classroom online in less than 24 hours. Um, um, Secondary school teachers can often be teaching over 200 people a week. Yeah, it's crazy. And so I'm really asking parents and carers to be aware of that. On top of that, some of those teachers are parents and carers themselves. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that fun game going on. It's and astonishing, isn't it? Hats off to those. <laughs> so it's just absolutely bonkers. And so, I mean, I spoke to a parent recently and I thought she just took the best decision. She has a young child. Um, with ADHD that was she was getting a lot of work coming from school and it was really upsetting her child and she works mm -hmm. full-time from home and she said I I can't do both and so she has made the decision for now you know for the next few weeks and then she'll check in again to do half an hour a day with him of, of what she would call formal learning the rest mm -hmm. of the time she's got like you know like fun I call it fungication um <laughs> like 
you know, the the kind of iPad games that are mathsy or literacy. Getting outside for a bit, yeah. Exactly, getting outside. She's got all that other stuff in and half an hour of formal academic learning a day. And that's what they can manage for now. Um, And, you know, luckily I was was supporting her going, you know, I I think you're doing absolutely the right thing. But that's what I'm saying is if you're getting a load of work from school and then there's all sorts of things I keep seeing and I keep trying to research it because I'm, a behavioural education specialist and I feel I should know and I can't find the answer when people are saying mm-hmm. hang on key stage two should have an hour no key stage two should have two hours no no no, no, no. there's all these kind of random <laughs> things coming out yeah really challenging if we go to the department of education's formal guidelines to the school which I've been um having great fun reading um there is so much in there that is to do with make it appropriate for your children it will be different for different schools it will be different for different pupils so the department of education are giving guidelines um nothing's been set in law from that point of view and i think that's really important to say um whereas in perhaps more normal times you know year six have got to learn this topic at this time and they need to achieve this by then and that has loosened up so i just want to give so it's like asking parents and carers please please consider our uh, profession that's on our knees ignore the the leaping media please um and thank you to those parents and carers who did contact um the ministry of education to um support teachers in his because um, the, the Minister of Education had this idea that uh, we should all be offsteaded right now. And if we're not uh, giving out high quality remote learning, that there should be consequences. And there's been a lot of parents and carers who have written to the Ministry, uh, Minister of Education and said, don't be so silly. Um, so um, thank you if you are one of those people. That means so much to our profession. We are on our knees right now and we are doing the absolute best. Keep the communication open allow that kind of pressure to be taken off you if at all possible from the academic learning and for your child on the other side you might have a kid who's like absolutely thriving and really just wants more and more and more and more fine go for it but let the kid be the lead on that yes yeah I I think you're absolutely right and you know at at the moment partnerships um, and collaboration and patience and understanding between parents and teachers, I think will just make all the difference both for, for them themselves and also for the young person in terms of just moving forward as best as possible and making sure that what you're doing is sustainable and um, is continuing to have some sort of forward motion. I think that's really important for young people, even if they're moving forward at a different pace, to, to feel like they're still um, moving in that direction. Um, I think both for themselves and also for their, their teachers and parents is really important because you know you can pick up that pace again when things come back um into more a more normal routine but you know it will make a difference to, to have that sense of of um of momentum of some kind um even if it's not not um what you might normally expect and i think it's you raise a really great point about the fact that it's um it's a great time to learn in different ways you know we we, we can learn um you know maybe get out and learn more about the environment than you would normally. So one of the important things that might be helpful for for teachers and parents to be thinking about at the moment is um, uh, the kind of leadership that's happening in schools. Uh, I think, um, you know, teachers are obviously going to be thinking as much as, as they have space 
for about looking after their own mental health um, and about trying to, to kind of get through this as best as possible. But obviously, this is a really big issue for, for school leaders. Um, and how they lead at the moment, I think, is really going to define, you know, the impact of, of this year long term on their staff. Um, do you have any advice um, or any thoughts around how school leaders can really support their staff at this difficult time? Yes, it begins with them supporting themselves. <laughs> we go back to that again. Um, school leaders have had to take a lot, um, as I've mentioned before, guidance from coming from the government, contra- contrasting, conflicting advice, um, and sometimes guidance that doesn't make sense in the context of their schools or their pupils. Mm. And it's been really, really challenging. And I think that, unfortunately, the media hasn't helped. I've spoken to several school leaders who have, um, you know, for example, got COVID. And um, they've had press ringing up trying to say, well, is that because your school wasn't clean enough? You know, and it's like, I've got COVID. Just... Kind of enough to deal with right now. Mm. I don't, you know. There have been huge decisions to make in absolutely no time at all for for heads, haven't there? Exactly, exactly. And I think really similar to what we were talking about with parents and carers and children is. Yes, being able to be decisive and make those decisions that as leaders we need to do, but also don't be scared to be authentic and say, you know what, this is what we've been given. This is what we're going to go ahead with right now. Let's come back in a couple of weeks and see how it's working because I could be wrong or, mm-hmm. or there could be things we could improve or there, there might be unforeseen things that come up. Um, so I think but we can only do that kind of um, sharing, which is quite vulnerable actually, as a school leader, to kind of put your hands up and go, we're going to give this a go, but I'm not sure if it's going to work. Um, we can only do that if we are looking after ourselves first. And, you know, I'm not a uh, well-being specialist. There are many people who are. If you are feeling unsupported as a school leader, please reach out. There are lots of places that do. I know education partnerships have 24-hour counselling. Um, there are many groups on Twitter that support uh, leaders and, and heads. And I think that that is at absolutely vital that's where we start and then in terms of supporting your staff again it's so similar to what we were talking about with um how we support our children yeah it's kind of knowing them and knowing where they're at you know have they what have they just been through what are they dealing with at home um are they a single parent with three kids at home whilst trying to teach your classes you know it's, it's finding out those things and adapting for it and there are some fantastic head teachers out there doing um, my next suggestion just so well. One of them that springs to mind is Rachel Tomlinson, and she's from Barrowford Primary School, uh, another person I've interviewed for my book. And she is so good at harnessing the positive of what's going on. And this is not to be all Pollyanna and not to just pretend nothing challenging is happening but it's to help us and to help our children and our staff to see that amidst all this guess what a kid's just learned this thing for the first time one pupil's just created a three-course meal and they're eight you know those kind of things they are happening and I got really frustrated a few weeks ago there was a an a um, public a school's publication education publication and it sends out weekly emails to staff to educators and every single news story on their newsletter was negative 
It was negative about the government. It was negative about schools. It was negative, about just everything. And I wrote to them and I said, come on, you know, you're sending this out to teachers and, and leaders who are doing their best, their heightened anxiety. And you're just like giving us all this old gray barn stuff, you know, and they didn't reply to me. So I started a thread on Twitter, which I'm doing regularly now, which is positive school news. Because what we what we appreciate appreciates right and there's there's all sorts of um uh science around the brain and how our mind works that proves this that you can look into but essentially if we're looking for positive moments then we can harness them and we can enjoy them and we can show our children that not all is lost um so it might be that one way to support your staff is to start a meeting by saying what's one good thing that happened this week with your Mm. pupils because there are good things going on. And I can tell you, when I've been doing those positive school news threads, they are full, absolutely full of brilliant things happening in our school, in our country right now, um, which just inspires me so much. And I think that as school leaders and as education leaders, that if we are able, and I'm saying if we are able, because we might not be in a place to, but if we are able to hold that and harness it and grow it, those are the seeds that will bring us into the next step in our education journey. Mm. It can be so easy to be self-critical, can't it? And especially at, at times like this, when things feel so insecure and, and so kind of upended. But actually taking a step back and saying, well, no, I have done this and I have made this happen and I was really proud of the young person who did this can really help you to get back on track on it and realise that, you know, so many of the teachers out there at the moment and parents are are doing a really amazing job of um, looking after the the young people and, and helping them to keep going with things. And that is, you know, deserves to be celebrated and finding the time to do that um, can can uh, really make all the difference. Brilliant. Well, um, we've talked about so many different things there, Adele, and it's been really, really helpful to have your views on um, everything that the sector has experienced in the last year or so. And, and you know, maybe some new tips there for, for um both professionals and and families to take on board in terms of carrying on and and, and continuing to move forward and hopefully uh, as we move through this year things are going to get a bit better so um it's nice to end on a positive note and um absolutely wish uh, you and and everyone else out there all the best for, for the rest of 2021 thank you and can i share with listeners how they can get in contact with me if you go over to my website adelbateseducation.co.uk then I have a wonderful community of inspiring educators and it's a very positive place I'll share mainly tips around behavior supporting behavior empowering these young people tips for school leaders on how to lead with a positive vision around behavior and also how the well-being of ourselves particularly right now is affected by all that so do come over and join our community there if that's helpful for you brilliant thank you so much for your time today Adele it's been fantastic to talk to you I'm really grateful to have you on the podcast thank you very much and um, hopefully speak to you soon yes thank you Tara thanks so much all the best bye we love making this podcast if you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy making it there's a few things that you can do one subscribe Hit the subscribe button in iTunes or wherever you're listening. Two, share. 
share this episode with someone you know who will find it interesting. 3. Review. Write a review or leave a comment. Also, feel free to contact us via the links in the show notes. Thanks a lot.